being well behaved as fundraisers, as grant writers, uh, can only take you so far. <laughs> there yeah. is a place for creative, disruptive misbehavior. And, you know, any listener that's out there thinking that they're alone in that, that they feel like, you know, I don't want anybody out there breaking the law or anything, but good Lord. I mean, these causes are too important for us not to, you know, get a little rowdy, be a little, be a little bit of a pirate when we're, when we're out there trying to raise funds for something that the world needs. Hey friends, welcome to Grant Writing Simplified. I'm your host, Teresa Huff. If you have not checked out my TEDx talk yet, make sure you watch that, The Real ROI of Grant Writing. You can find it on YouTube or in the podcast player just a few episodes back. Make sure you think through that. Think through your ROI, your return on impact as a nonprofit, and work through that with your board and your team. Are you building your relevance? Are you optimizing? And are you interacting? authentically. So take a listen and let me know how that is useful for you. When you're a nonprofit leader, the pressure to get grants going when you've got a million things going on can be pretty overwhelming. Well, that's where my friend Derek Timmerman comes in. He's the founder over at Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions, and he has created an incredible system unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's called Easy Grant. Every week, Easy Grant gives you exactly what to do next to find, cultivate, and apply to foundations who are perfectly aligned with your mission. They even write the letter of inquiry for you. It's crazy affordable, just a monthly subscription, no contracts, and you can cancel anytime. Honestly, it's kind of like the Netflix of grant writing. So go check it out today, Easy Grant by Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions. You can go to myeasygrant.com. And actually, speaking of Derek Timmerman over at Easy Grant, <laughs> he is my special guest today. Derek and I have gotten to be good friends over the last few months and found that we really share some similar viewpoints and see some common pain points in the sector that really bug us and that we both really want to help support nonprofits and help resolve some of those problems that are happening. So we've collaborated and he has been a podcast sponsor the last few weeks. And because of that, I wanted you all to meet him too and to hear from him. And we discuss some pretty different solutions today that maybe aren't quite as common in the nonprofit sector, but the need for those and the importance of those. And Derek gives some really great tips for helping move you forward in your nonprofit. So some good stuff here. Before we get started, let me give you a little bit of background here. Derek Timmerman is the founder of Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions. It's a nationwide consulting firm that helps nonprofits maximize their impact. In addition to coaching nonprofit professionals at all levels, Derek is also a nationally recognized speaker and an author on different nonprofit topics. Before he founded Sparrow, Derek was a management consultant at McKinsey & Company, and he was also a U.S. Army intelligence officer with two combat deployments to Iraq. He has a bachelor's in computer science from West Point, as well as a master's, a PhD, and he's a certified fundraising executive. 
So I am excited for you to meet him and to hear this conversation today. I would love to hear your takeaways. So here we go. Derek, my friend, welcome to the show. It's great to have you and always fun to catch up. Before we dive in, tell us a random fact about yourself. Great to be with you, Teresa. And before I jump in, just let me say thank you for the service that you provide to the grant writing community. I mean, this is a very, very important thing that you do in trying to get amazing causes funding. So thank you for everything that you do. Well, thank you. Um, for little, Happy to. Yeah, for sure. A little bit of my background. Um, so I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. So any Carolinians out there, uh, what's up? Um, from Charlotte originally and went straight from high school to West Point. And I was there from 98 to 02, which put September 11th, my senior year at West Point, which definitely changed the outlook of what that five years you have to serve in the military is George W. Bush actually gave the go to war speech to Iraq at my graduation day, shook his hand. And six months later, I'm in the initial invasion into Iraq in 2003. So yeah, definitely um, high adventure in those first couple of years, two tours to Iraq um, for a year each. That was plenty for the family. So I ended up going straight from there to McKinsey and company. And uh, as a, that, that's a consulting firm. It's one of these sort of big five consultancies where you swoop into a fortune 500 company and solve a big problem and, uh, and then move on to the next one a few months later. And you learn a lot about business, a lot about change management. And, but honestly, it's working with huge companies. So for a sole recharge, I'd get back on Thursday night and then Friday and Saturday, I would do pro bono work with nonprofits. I would kind of do some of the same engagements I would do at McKinsey with these nonprofit clients. My first one ever was with Dress for Success Charlotte. Maybe some of your listeners are familiar with this nonprofit that gives interview suits and, and business clothing to uh, underserved women and just had the most amazing time working with them and other nonprofits. And I, I knew at that point that this soul-filling effect of serving nonprofits was, was going to be my vocational life in the future. So I founded Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions to be kind of the McKinsey to the nonprofit world. And that's that's kind of where you find me now. And thank you for your service. I know you <laughs> did not end up in what you signed up for completely changed that trajectory with having September 11th midstream, but thank you for your service there in the military. And I know that's a lot on your family and just, you know, it, you put a lot into that. Thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot. So, yeah, it sounds like you definitely have found your niche that you love serving. And I know just from our conversations that you really have a heart for helping nonprofits. And so what was it that drew you, would you say, to nonprofits specifically and to helping them at that specific point in their development? Yeah, I, I guess what I found, Teresa, is there are so many nonprofit founders and nonprofit leaders, even of big nonprofit organizations that you know, have been going for some time, but this is certainly even more true of those who start a nonprofit is they've got this big heart for what they're trying to do and the way that they're trying to change the world, but don't always bring along 
how shall we say, a business savvy or an executional um, set of skills that they've developed in the background to kind of realize this big world-changing goal that they have. So I've, I've thought, how could I maybe be a help to them in not asking them to trade their heart at the door to become a cold executing robot, but actually let's keep that big heart, but bring along some of the business savvy and the uh, fundraising skills and the executional skills, change management, performance management, all of these things that you need in order to really make the change that they aspire to. So that's that's really what, what drew me to nonprofits. I can I can help a big company get bigger, or I could go over here to the nonprofit world and help these big hearts realize these world-changing aspirations. And I, I will add that I'm a person of faith. You know that from our conversations. Sure. And and when you are, that is just, you know, that's a, a motivator that is deeply ingrained in everything that you do. So for me, there's that. There's wanting to to live a big life that helps these big hearts make a big change in the world. And and that's that's why nonprofits for me. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And it's so parallel to what I see. And I think we hear so many of the same things. We see somebody that they care so much about this cause. And I really want to affect this and change my community. But you have to have that balance of both sides. And then also for us internally, the faith aspect adds that deeper dimension that keeps you waking up and every morning going after it, even when it's hard and discouraging. But I also, you know, along those lines, just I feel like your mix of taking this heart aspect, we certainly don't want to lose that. But then you're bringing in probably a lot of your military background and that systems. And I know, like when you and I have talked, you're trying to reverse engineer something or let's figure out what works and how can we create a system to replicate the things that do work. So having that balance is really critical. And I agree, a lot of nonprofits don't realize the importance of bringing in some of those business elements and the systemization tools to have that balance because you have to have that heart, but you also have to have the core operational aspect too. Absolutely, yeah. What I, what I tell my clients sometimes is is you have to have brains, love, and grit. And so many yeah. times I walk into the situation and they've got they've got the love, they've they've got the grit because they're still staying with it. Although you know, we can talk about these days. It's you know it's it's a lonely thing being a nonprofit leader, and even the grit oh. can start to wane uh, over time. Yeah. But yeah, bringing the 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 kind of skills, systems, sophistication in terms of running an entity. Uh, whether it be a business or nonprofit, um, yeah, just rounding out those three so that you have all three and then you can just see the the mission just take off. Mm-hmm. Do you see a particular trend where one area tends to be the most lacking in nonprofits of those three yeah. that you said? Yeah, I, I would say you can sort of tease out within brains this sort of, there's a rule following aspect to brains, which is kind of, you read the book and you're kind of the the nerd about following the steps and the textbook and things, but then there's a creativity side of the brains piece um, that, you know, it, it sets the love on fire. It sets the grit on fire. It's the creativity that you need to really solve the problem that that's around you to take a clear, bare attention, look at it 
and say, what is it that this thing needs to, to really make the biggest splash in the world? And I, I think that um, problem solving creativity is, is maybe what's missing the most that I'm seeing right now. Um, that answer could change in the next year or two, but that's what I'm seeing out there right now. Yeah. And that's interesting. You bring that up specifically because I have talked a lot before about how grant writing specifically is an art and a science. Yeah. We Mm -hmm. absolutely have to follow the rules and do it like the funder says, or they could reject our application. But within that, we also have to be creative and compelling and really craft our story and our application in a way that's going to resonate and stand out from others. So it is that mix of, like you said, the problem solving creativity and realizing, oh, maybe there are better solutions out there from the way it's always been done. Maybe we need to reshape the mold a little bit and, you know, kind of shake things up. And I think you and I are trying to come up with some solutions in that regard as well, because we know with the way things are changing, the way technology, nonprofits, even just funding, the way people approach funding is different. So we've got to shake it up. It's time. It's time. It is. And I I mean, I I don't want to run uh, a cut against the grain of other podcast guests or other experts or I mean, there's so many people doing wonderful things. At the same time, I, I do think that, you know, being well behaved as fundraisers, as grant writers, uh, can only take you so far. (laughs) There there is a place for creative, disruptive misbehavior. And, you know, any listener that's out there thinking that they're alone in that, that they feel like, you know, I don't want anybody out there breaking the law or anything, but good Lord. I mean, these causes are too important for us not to, you know, get a little rowdy be a little, be a little bit of a pirate when we're when we're out there trying to raise funds for something that the world needs. When we're fighting anti-trafficking, when we're fighting homelessness, when we're trying to uh, clothe people, feed people, um, these are things that you know that these causes are too important for us to be on our best behavior and let days or months or years go by without impact. So I don't know. Maybe I'm a little yeah. bit of a contrarian in that regard, but I'm unapologetically so. I like it. Well, and also, I mean, falling into that mode of, well, this is how it's always been done, or Mm. this is how we've always done it here. Why, Mm. you know, it's like, why would we even think about changing it? Well, maybe we do need to think about changing it. Maybe that's exactly why, because it has always been done that way. We've not made a lot of progress by doing it the same way. So maybe we do need to step back and rethink some of our approaches, our systems, our language of how we're talking about things, all of it. Maybe it's exactly what's needed. You know, maybe just maybe there's a listener out there who can identify with this is I walked up to the grant writing world. And the first time I took a just clear, clear eyed look at the way this all works, I just I just tilted my head and went, really? <laughs> Is this really the best we can do in terms of a society of how you know foundations with lots of money give give that money in partitions to amazing causes? Is this the best we can do? And that's really what led to the creation of Easy Grant. Um it's 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 looking at this and going, man, are we're asking nonprofit leaders 
to shell out four digits to a grant writer and cross their fingers that six months or more later, that some multiple of that four digits will come back in the form of a, an awarded grant. And I thought, how how is this the way that this works? And so Easy Grant is kind of a disruptive answer to that to say, well, how about a subscription model where every week we find a way to, uh, we find a funder that's perfect for you, craft the LOI, the letter of inquiry to match that funder, and then just send it to you. And you just drop that thing in the mail and have that be a super affordable cost for for nonprofits. Every nonprofit that's discovered it has gone, where has this been? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> that's that's kind of what we're trying to do is take a fresh look at the fundraising world, at the grant writing world, and just kind of re start fresh, blank, blank page, clean sheet, and say, if we could start completely over and give the nonprofit world something, some love gift that's going to break their fundraising wide open in an affordable way. That's what we try to do at Sparrow. Yeah, love it. And to me, it feels like it's bridging a gap because nonprofits sometimes will come to me saying, okay, we need grants. How do we go about it? When maybe they're brand new and they don't even have some of their stuff together, let alone be ready for grants. So it's like, okay, you need to look at other types of fundraising first. You need to get things in order and raise funds before you worry about grants, because that's such a long game. So I feel like you've created a process that helps build that bridge in between. It helps generate other funding sources, other types of funders that they can ease into the more competitive grant space, as opposed to just all in, we could get money a year or two from now, but maybe not after a lot of time and effort and often funds invested in the process. So I feel like it's a really good stair-step way to get there. For sure. Absolutely. And there's another term that just I I kind of like uh, bristle at a little bit just in terms of grant readiness. I think the grant writing world has, you know, used that term to good effect to be able to say to a, a nonprofit organization, hey, listen, you got to have, you know, your ducks in a row. You've got to have your board member list with the bios. You've got to have, you know, your budget sheets. You've got to have all these sorts of things, you know, to be quote unquote grant ready. Um, but it also, we've we've used, I say we, the, the grant writing world has, has used it with a little bit of scare quotes sometimes to make everybody feel like there's never going to be any time when you're grant ready. This is a way to just kind of get started, just a rough and ready way to kind of, jump in both feet to the grant writing world and let the chips fall where they may and get grant ready kind of as you go. Uh, and it's, it's so, it's so funny what comes out of that is it's not just fundraising work that benefits from that. It's actually operations too. I can't tell you how many times we're actually working on a letter of inquiry and we actually change the operations of the organization as a result of that to say, all right, the best way to frame this, I think, is as Project 1K. Let's shoot for 1,000 people saw, served by end of year 2024. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll raise funds. We'll kind of frame this as a brand new, exciting project that grant makers can get behind. Well, that's that has operational consequences for the organization that they get excited about it. They talk about Project 1K as a staff. They include it in their annual report. And just to see that grant research and outreach process 
affect the whole nonprofit's future. Oh my gosh, that's why I do what I do. It's so much fun. Yeah. And it has that ripple effect into the other programs, the ways you're talking about it to donors, all the pieces, it all goes hand in hand to help it lock in. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, you know, I'm one of the proponents of grant readiness. I also am a big advocate of taking action. It's kind of like getting married or having a kid. You're never really ready. (laughs) You just have to do it. And at some point, like you can read all the books on parenting, but eventually you just got to have a kid and figure it out as you go. None of the books are going to have all the answers. And so grant readiness is the same way. It's that balance of, yeah, you need certain key elements in place, but also at some point, you need to start taking those next steps. And so I think this is providing good next steps instead of a big leap. And it helps keep moving forward and making progress. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're using sort of biological analogies, growth analogies, uh, development analogies. And, and, you know, I'll add another one, which is just, you know, we, our muscles grow when we do something that's a little bit too hard for them. Right. Is the the muscle fiber breaks and when it heals, it grows bigger. And it's the same thing with grant writing is, you know, yeah, don't lift that weight until, you know, your muscle. No, it's the other way around is your muscles actually get stronger as you lift weight. That's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch and that's how we grow. That's how we develop. That's how we improve. So with my clients, yeah, I, I don't set up this artificial threshold or barrier or scare gate to say, yeah, you're not grant ready. I say, let's go. And if you're okay getting some no's, um, let's get some no's and we'll work our way towards that first yes. Mm-hmm. So what are some core elements or pieces of whether it's information or organizational structure that nonprofits do need to have in place, regardless of whether it's the easy grant process or regular grants, what do you think they really do need to have? Yeah. I mean, I've, for the longest time I've, I've worked with nonprofits to go through what I call the four questions. And these are kind of the, just the table stakes that every single nonprofit needs. It's not going to be a surprise to you or probably many of your listeners, but these four questions, as you work through through them with with a a nonprofit leader, um, it's interesting sometimes the gaps that come out and the conversations that that fall out of that. So the four questions are, why do we exist? Why do we exist? That's number one. And there's a, a way to answer that, which is, you know, in terms of the mission. Um, and there's a formula to it is you take a, um, an infinitive phrase to action verb. So to help, you know, some, some kind of to infinitive phrase, uh, a, an object. So, um, uh, children, um, or, and then the differentiator, which is, you know, what differentiates that object or what differentiates you or the geographic region or something like that. So to help children develop a sense of confidence and wellness in the Carolinas. That's it. That's why we exist. So every nonprofit can use that formula to develop an answer to that first question. Why do we exist? Number two, um, what is a win? What is a win? That that creates the vision. So what is the thing that you're trying to achieve? What is that micro win? 
And then what's the pile of my, uh, what's the pile of wins that you want to achieve over time? So we want to help 10,000 children by end of year, 2026. That's the vision. That's what is a win helping one child. What's the aggregate 10,000 children by end of year, 2026. And then um, who are we when we're winning? That's your values. So that's how you list out the five to seven things that characterize who are you when you're at your best? Who are you when you're winning? And then how do we win? That's the strategy. What three things are you going to do again and again to replicate those wins, to help to replicate those number of children served or whatever that replicatable micro win is? Why do we exist? Um, what is a win? Uh, who are we when we're winning? And how do we win? Long answer to your Love question. That. Sorry about that. Love it. That would be a great board exercise mm. or a team exercise to just sit down and work through together and really uh, distill that down. Yeah. I've structured entire board retreats just off of those four questions. That's right. Mm -hmm. I could see where that could lead into a lot of mm. good discussion, really honing in on what you're doing and why. And sometimes boards have not really thought that through or or it's been a long time, or maybe board members have come and gone and the new board isn't quite as vested in the project or the program. So it's time to revisit those questions. For sure. Yeah. One of the four things that we do at Sparrow is called board spark, which is take a languishing board, um, which unfortunately many are, and get them energized again to use their strengths and backgrounds to to answer those four questions and to get engaged in a much more meaningful way. So yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's one of the funnest things about the work that we do is seeing a board go from ho-hum to, you know, rocking and rolling in the course of one board retreat. Yeah. And that can make all the difference is helping a board understand their role, but also their skills. And I like to work with nonprofits on making sure what does light each board member up. And how can they plug in in a way that's going to excite them to follow through on what they said they would do and to come to the board meeting with new energy and ideas? So it sounds like you're taking that to an even deeper level. Yes. Yeah. And we're, we're going into this is July. We're going into kind of board retreat season, budget season for a lot of nonprofits. So kind of a, 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 a nudge to all of your listeners to say whoever you're working with on that board retreat that's coming up. Um, make sure that they're interviewing each board member one-on-one -on -one before the board retreat, because you're not going to get that level of fidelity from that go going into the board retreat unless that retreat facilitator is doing those one-on-one -on -one interviews with each board member. So definitely, definitely want to see that from your from your facilitator. Yeah, that's great advice and a great way to get deeper context and better conversations because some board members we'll talk a lot more one-on-one -on -one, and the dynamic is different when you come together as a group. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. No, when, when everybody gets together for that day and a half, that one overnight, they can, they can be polite for the day and a half, right? They can be on their best <laughs> behavior, but you never get to see what the underlying things that are keeping Sally from getting along with Jane, with getting along from along with Dave. And what's that thing that happened two and a half years ago that is the reason why Stuart just doesn't seem to get in. Yeah. You only get that with the one-on-one -on -one interviews. Yeah. Yeah. And then that gives you that bird's eye perspective where you can connect the dots in a way that someone internally can't. 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's nothing like a fresh set of eyes because once you've been in a culture, you get, you know, it, it's called a culture for a reason. You get acculturated, you get used to it and it's, it's to business as usual, but a fresh set of eyes, if it's, if you're bringing insight, listening, wisdom, um, and can then sort of steer the conversation so that you're actually resolving things during the board retreat. Yeah. You can achieve a lot in a day and a half for sure. Yeah. Now you also have a program for Gallus, correct? Yes. Our gala guide uh, service. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh my goodness. I, I am just a huge believer, Teresa, in the signature annual event being a huge catalyst for fundraising every year. There's just something magic about having some day every year that your nonprofit owns in your community. So, you know, if you've never done a gala before, strongly encourage you not to go into the teeth of the November, December timeframe where everybody else runs their gala. But my goodness, if your community doesn't have like a Valentine's Day signature annual event, which can be the date destination for your entire community, and you're celebrating the love that you give to your beneficiaries, why not grab that Valentine's Day gala slot and own that every single year and let that be an incredible catalyst for energy, excitement, fundraising. And oh, by the way, you can raise 150000 or more along the way, um, as well as you know bringing new people into the fold. There's just so much that a signature annual event can achieve. And for those nonprofits that have been scared of it or burned by it, or don't want to be that rubber chicken event that that everybody else does, we have a service that walks them through how to pull off that first one or two, and then kind of uh, we can help from there or we can ride off into the sunset, but that's, that's kind of what Gala Guide is. Yeah. And again, that comes back to the creative disruption. Mm. There's no set way that you're supposed to do events or that you're supposed to host a big annual bash. So let's look at it creatively and let's look at other holidays or other seasons as opposed to cramming it in when everyone else is doing theirs. But yeah, I think that's that's a great way to look at it and to sometimes look at that as an opportunity to step back and be creative and think about what makes sense for your type of mission, for your typical cycle of your programs, your funding, all of it. And how does it best fit in? We all live cyclical lives, right? And the great religious traditions of the centuries discovered a long, long, long time ago that you want to keep this, this faith. You want to keep your faith commitments top of mind when people tend to be forgetful an annual way, you know, annual rituals, you know, keep those things top of mind. They keep you coming back to what matters. And too few nonprofits embrace the power of that through that signature annual event. I'm not saying to turn your nonprofit cause into a religion, but definitely want to learn from, you know, what's worked in these faith traditions. And my goodness, if you want to keep your community engaged to keep your cause top of mind, you can't leave a signature annual event on the table. That's got to be a part of your fundraising strategy. That goes back to making sure you're crystal clear on your why. Why do we mm-hmm. exist? Mm-hmm. What are we about? And making sure whatever you choose aligns well with that. Because I also have seen 
whether it's a nonprofit as a whole or board members or whatever saying, oh, let's do a big event. Let's do another one. Let's have three or four this year so we can raise 200,000 each time. You're going to burn out your people. You're going to spread too thin. You're going to wear out the community and the donors. So choosing strategically is really important there. 100%. Yeah. The two biggest failure modes I see in terms of focus in nonprofits is what you're describing in terms of events gone wild, where, you know, you you (laughs) just kind of get into this cycle where as a, as a new nonprofit, you can't stand the coffee where you ask someone for money sitting across from you. So what's the best way to raise money in kind of an arm's length way where you don't really have to make an ask, but everybody has a little fun and events, right? So let's get into this starvation cycle where we're running an event every two months. That's one failure mode. The other is grants gone wild, which is like, let me just send spray and pray, you know, trying to win as many grants as I can. And yeah, that I don't have to ask anybody for money at a coffee there either. I can just ask strangers to give me grants. So that's what I see really happening a lot out there. So um, we've talked yeah. a lot about events. We've talked a lot about grants, but my Lord, if you've made it to this point in the podcast, dear listener, please, 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 please make the coffee, the center of gravity of your fundraising life, 90 coffees in 90 days, make yourself do it because that is the core of fundraising. Everything else we're talking about, grant writing events, everything that should be secondary to that coffee. Getting to know the people. And in case someone doesn't know what you're referring to, tell us, like describe what would a an ideal coffee situation look like? Just oh my gosh. You think yeah. one-on-one, small groups, homes. What do you think? One-on-one. Yeah. You've you've met somebody who has a linkage, ability, and interest to your organization. Linkage being a connection to a person, ability, meaning they have, you know, more than $10 a month to give. Um, but $10 is okay. We'll, we'll talk to them too. Uh, interest, they have some kind of heart tie, heart connection to the mission of your organization. So if you've got somebody who checks the LAI box, linkage, ability, and interest, ask them out to coffee, listen to them, what's going on in their life, what makes them tick, what their love language is. Don't ask for a thing at that first coffee and just love them. Go back to your database management system, write everything down that you know about them inside your your donor management system, take all the notes, put it in there, record it, have coffee with them again, six to 12 weeks, six to 10 weeks later, and then um, walk through an ask in which you say, listen, we have a need right now. Um, I thought about you um, and the fact that you care so much about what we do and who we are. Could I ask you to come alongside us at a monthly amount of $25 a month? And then you stop talking. Next person to speak is them. They say yes or no, and you move on with your life. You can do this, listener. 90 coffees in 90 days. Go do it. And, you know, making that more about the other person and listening and learning Mm. about them. Mm. To me, that takes the intimidation factor out. It's not Mm. like, oh, no, I have to go meet this sales quota of bringing in so much money in 90 days. You're meeting 90 friends and making new connections and meeting new friends. And that adds a whole different dynamic to the conversations, to the situation. You're learning to care about the people on the other side of the table. 
You're a good interviewer, Teresa, because you're getting all my secrets today. So here's Ooh, another one is the top good. 100 list. Like, yeah, like have a list. And I, I use monday.com. You can use all kinds of different things. But if if you're using sort of a, a task or, you know, uh, an air traffic control tower, if you will, for your whole fundraising life, monday.com is great. One of the boards on Monday that I, I set up for everyone is a top 100 list where you list out the top 100 people who care most about your organization. And you've got a column in there that is what's the right next fundraising milestone right next fundraising milestone for each of these people. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's sending a uh, a Tumblr for someone's alma mater, like, okay, they're an Ohio State fan. All right. You know, Ohio State just, you know, hired a new coach. Let me send them a Tumblr in the mail to thank them for being, or maybe it's a coffee. Maybe it's an ask for $25,000. Whatever that next fundraising milestone is, you're tracking that in a top 100 list. Mm-hmm. Great tip. Ooh, you're giving us so much gold. I know. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. This is awesome. So, um, is there anything that you think you would recommend as a first step for a nonprofit that is just kind of floundering? And I say this because I talk to a lot of nonprofits that are maybe just trying to get their act together, but like you said in the beginning, have no context for nonprofit work. So what is one first step that you recommend? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of a lot of folks in the nonprofit space would answer that question with something involving fundraising or operations or list making or something. I go to the board with that question is I would say, um, you watch these restaurant intervention shows and in a British accent, they say, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. Like that's that's kind of what I'm saying here with your nonprofit is if you're in one of these situations where the whole thing is just chewed up, you've got to just hit the big red button and scratch and claw your way to a board of five people who are engaged and care and want to spend the time. And until you've got that core board of five, at least, uh, five to nine is the magic number that are going to be your people. Uh, You can't really do anything else. So that's, that's step zero for me with nonprofits is that core board of five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree because I have talked to nonprofit directors who are pretty much having to run the whole show with no board support, no backing, they're trying to do everything. And that is the path straight to burnout. That's where it's like, okay, we got to back up here. We got to stop. We got to rethink how this whole thing is running. So I think that's an excellent point. So would you share before we wrap up, is there a resource that has been especially meaningful to you in your journey of nonprofit work? Hmm. So there's a brilliant little book that's as encouraging as it is insightful called Asking by Gerald Panas. Um, And uh, he has since passed away, I believe, but he was a giant in the fundraising world for a long, long time and wrote a little book that you can read um, in one evening and you'll keep going back to it again and again in your fundraising life. So asking by Gerald Panas is just an amazing, amazing little read. 
Okay, thank you. We will add that to the show notes. And speaking of books, I believe you have one right back behind you on your shelf, correct? That I do. We, yeah, we know the author. Tell us about that. That's right. He he's he's a little bit of, of a doofus, but um, okay. no. <laughs> yeah, the forty laws of nonprofit impact. Um, I wanted to give the nonprofit world a love gift of. Uh, 40 laws, just 1,500 words each, so a little tiny chapter that starts out with a, a story of a real nonprofit, a household name nonprofit that you know, um, tells a little bit of the origin story that illustrates the law and just goes into a law that you can apply this very same week. So it's I tried to make this just a practical end-to-end manual on everything involved in nonprofit life. So yeah, the 40 laws of nonprofit impact on Amazon. Great resource. And I love the bite-sized step-by-step along the way. So yeah. Well, tell us how people can learn more about Easy Grand, how they can connect with you, or whether it's some of your other programs too with the boards and events. Yeah. The the best sort of front door to everything we do with Easy Grant, and you can sort of link to everything else, is myeasygrant.com. So it's pretty simple. Myeasygrant.com. You'll get to check out the program and uh, see if it's right for you. And you know, certainly encourage uh, podcasts sometimes can be daunting. Like, oh, these guys are not, ex- connect with me on LinkedIn as well. I'm a big LinkedIn guy um, on DMs and everything else. And we can exchange emails. So Derek Timmerman on LinkedIn, uh, there's not a whole lot of Derek Timmermans out there. So you can find me pretty easily. I'd love to be friends with any listener who's listening and um, yeah, come alongside you in your impact journey. Very good. Well, thank you. I so appreciate your insights today and your support of the podcast and of nonprofits, especially because I know your heart to serve them. And so it's good to have colleagues in the space that I feel really good recommending and sharing with my listeners. So thank you. You're amazing, Teresa. Keep going. This is an incredible service that you do to the nonprofit world. And I will always be a fan. Oh, thank you, my friend. All right, friends, what do you think? I would love to hear your takeaways and what action step you are going to try. Derek had so many great tips and ideas for how to move forward with your nonprofit. So I would love to hear how you're going to use this information. I want you taking action. Don't just sit on this, but go out and do something with it. If you are not sure how to do that, I am working on some solutions that I will be sharing with you very soon. So stay tuned. As always, reach out, shoot me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know how I can support you because we need you out there doing good work. All right, friends, have a great week and go change your world. Mm -hmm.